Welcome to Bleeding Edge Interviews. I am your host, Super Dave. Thank you for joining me as I spend some time talking to the people responsible for all the amazing music you hear on Bleeding Edge on Toxic Radio. This is where we get a little bit of insight into the minds of the people who are making the choice on a regular basis to deviate from the norm and push the boundaries of rock and metal. In our modern age of prog rock, there's really almost no bands still recording out there who have the clout and the longevity of Marillion. Way back at the beginning of what's now become known as the neo-prog movement, they carved out their own little niche and eventually earned themselves, deservedly, the distinction of being the most successful of those bands. Certainly a major part of that success would have to be the emotive and evocative playing of their guitarist and founding member, Steve Rothery. I had the distinct pleasure to have a nice long conversation with Steve during a break in Marillion's fall tour. As always, Steve was thoughtful, humorous, and contemplative about the band's career and their future, and we covered a lot of ground, especially the very notable success of the band's latest album, An Hour Before It's Dark. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Steve Rothery of Marillion. Hello, Steve. Hey, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. Glad to see you, sir. How are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad. Just preparing for our next leg of the Marillion tour tomorrow. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Back on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Three and a half weeks on a tour bus. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I sense a mixture of uh, anticipation and sarcasm in that statement. <laughs> yeah. Anticipation and dread, you might say. Yeah. <laughs> Fair yeah, enough. This is one of the things when you've kind of been touring for... 40 odd years you know it's um sometimes it's a necessary evil but uh trying to sleep on a tour bus is just yeah not my idea of fun yeah i can only imagine and especially you know maybe it's one thing uh when you're in your 20s it's another thing yeah. when you're later than that <laughs> exactly yeah you, you kind of look forward to your 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 comforts like sleeping in a real bed and that's not moving and you know yeah <laughs> And, and to be honest, even speaking for myself, in my 20s, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it very much and tolerated too much. I, I like my bed. Yeah, no, I mean, I never really loved it. But I just think the older you get, the um, the more you, you are, the less willing you are to pull up, put up with such things. But, yeah. uh, but sometimes, you know, just the geographical distance is involved in Europe and in, and in North America. There's, there's no option, really. It's the only way you can do it. But uh, yeah. I mean to say I have to enjoy it. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. It's true. And that's right. Next week, you're going to be, uh, I'm going to see how much my pronunciation guide tell me, but Lila, Kroniken, uh, and Eindhoven. That's correct. Yes. There we go. The most extensive tour I think you guys have done probably since 2019 at this point. Like you've sort of been gradually building over the last year, it seems like. Yeah, we did the Marillion weekends around the world, but yeah, it's, it's the last time we would have toured to this extent since 2019, you know, pre pandemic. Yeah, uh, so I'm sure it's, the concerts are going to be amazing. I mean, just based on how this last UK tour was, you know, the anticipation, how much people love the new album, and uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's going to be quite electric, I think. I, I would imagine so, and I uh, personally have some experience with that myself because I was uh, there for the Leicester weekend, actually. Oh, excellent! Right, yeah, yeah. It, it timed out perfectly for pre-panned pre-planned vacation with my daughter um, right. so we made sure to uh be a part of that i got a little story for that i'll share with you later uh, right 
more in context, but um, with that buildup and now, you know, getting out minus the tour bus thing, how, how is it feeling to finally get back out again? What's that? Uh, well, there's nothing, yeah, there's nothing like playing to a live audience, really. I mean, you know, it, it kind of reminds you of why you do what you do, really. Um, it's, there's, yeah, there's nothing like it. I mean, to look out at the, say, at the end of care and see uh, everyone's, you know, tears in their eyes and just so caught up in the moment and the power of the the music and the words. Uh, yeah, there's nothing else in the world like it, really. Yeah. Thought, you know, when we've been doing it for so long, I thought, you know, our advancing years, yeah, who knows how many more tours we've got ahead of us. So you've got to try and enjoy it and, and, uh, and celebrate the fact that we are still doing it. You know, this is my 43rd year in Marillion. So that's uh, pretty incredible, really. <laughs> Yes, yes, it is. Absolutely. I know uh, during the initial recording phase of um, An Hour Before It's Dark, you were hanging back a little bit. The band started without you because you had some concerns still about COVID. Is that still in the back of your mind at this point in time? Or are you pretty much relaxed about it now? Yeah, I'm pretty relaxed about it. I mean, um, I had I caught COVID on the cruise, cruise to the edge, as yeah. did uh, Ian and Pete, I think. Um and I wasn't actually very ill, which is, you know, obviously the main concern. I, it was just like a head cold for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've just recently had my my dual booster. So theoretically, I should be in pretty good shape if I did, did get it again. But uh, for, for a long time, it was very scary. You know, in the first wave before the vaccines were even developed, it was, it was a very life and death situation for a lot of people who uh, had a bad reaction to it. So... Yeah, no, the first stage of the writing. Well, we did some writing and then things locked down. Um, some of the band uh, worked without me for a few weeks. I, I'd work at home because I've got a studio here in my garage. Um, and then once things started to relax a bit and we all got together again, it was just like the floodgates of creativity were open, really. Uh, it was such a joy to play with everyone again and, and to just try and find, you know, different ways of expressing, you know, what you've kind of had pent up inside you for the previous sort of six months really so uh yeah it was it was quite cathartic i think to to be able to do that express certain emotions through the music yeah yeah it seems my perception has been that you know uh, as they say adversity sometimes fuels creativity and it seems like a, a lot of artists have just uh, through you know i guess the suffering i'll say of, of the whole lockdowns and everything really pulled out and made some of their best work in a long time you guys especially yeah um, so it really seems to have had a a real impact on i think people's mindsets no i think we've we've things have been kind of going on an upward trajectory for us for the last few albums and i think with this it could have gone either way because obviously you know you try to make an album during lockdown and with everything that's happening in the world it could have gone it could have been brilliant or it could have been a bit of a a train wreck and and fortunately i think mike hunter our producer had a, a clear plan and uh it just sort of grew organically you know to the point where even at the very last stages of of recording when we were adding the choirs um you know it was just kind of coming alive and adding this extra dimension to the record so it was, it was quite quite incredible really yeah yeah uh that's uh <laughs> my reaction to it as well so 
I'm curious too, do you notice any difference in, in the way the band and the audiences are interacting post COVID? Do you think that's changed some of those mindsets of the people watching you? Well, I think because this last album was very much influenced by, you know, everyone's experiences really, um, that they kind of relate to it in a, and maybe more direct way. Uh, Yeah, yeah. You just see, there's a very strong emotional reaction to the new album. You know, we 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 come on stage and play it from beginning to end, and you know, nobody wanders off. You know, everyone's very um, transfixed. I think by hearing the album uh, live and 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 you know our live interpretation of it. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's it's. I don't remember having quite this response really. F- f- and really since season's end where you go out and, and the audience is so hungry to hear your, your new record. Uh, it's, it's quite a, a remarkable feeling really. Yeah. Well, speaking from one of those in the audience, I can say, as I mentioned, I was there for the Lester weekend, which the timing yeah. worked out perfectly. Um, as you know, you know, opportunities to see you guys in the U S are pretty slim. So it had been about uh, six years, I think since the last time I managed to catch you. Right. Um, and as soon as I saw that hit perfectly with our timing, I said, we're, we're going. I took my daughter, um, her first time seeing you guys at all. And um, I got to say, especially that second night when you play the new album live, uh, I would honestly describe that for me as a religious experience almost. I don't know that I've seen a concert where I could say the band and the audience were more emotionally in mm. sync with one another. And it really, uh, for me, was powerful. And it's not a short album, but boy, the night almost seemed to fly by. Um, yeah. Which, but it it was such a remarkable night. I can remember, especially, I think by the end of it, by the end of Care, honestly, it looked like H was up there about ready. I don't know if he had tears going down his face or not, but he looked so emotional, especially yeah. at that moment. And no, I got to wonder, what's it like for you guys receiving these reactions to this album? Oh, it's it's quite wonderful, really. Um, quite uh, hard to describe when you're inside looking out, I suppose. But you do you do get that emotion from the audience, and and it's quite humbling uh, that what you've done can resonate so deeply with people, and it can can mean so much. I mean, I think especially for you know, anyone that's lost a loved one during the pandemic or a friend. Um, it's just so current even now that uh, it's very rare that you would have a, a record that does that. Yeah. Uh, no, but it, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I mean, obviously the only problem we have now is trying to follow it with the next record <laughs> at some point down the line. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, and, and just to talk about a little bit too, I mean, one, the music itself to me, especially in the midst of the album, I, I don't, often at concerts start to get a bit misty you got me so uh, kudos you achieved what few people had (laughs) oh that's Um, a great compliment even though music typically can move me emotionally but at a concert i'm just not typically what i do but you got me a bit but especially then towards the end of the q a on the third night it was quite kind of a jaw drop moment for me uh you guys and lucy were uh talking about some bands that had some special stories and you brought some of them up on stage. And I know that there was one in particular 
uh, a young lady whose father and she were big, big fans of Marillion and, uh, you know, hadn't gotten to see you guys, obviously, because the pandemic for a while. And he had passed away during that time. And you guys brought her on stage. But the part that was jaw dropped for me, not so much that her name was Kaylee, because I'm sure probably frequent occurrence at concerts, <clears throat> but the fact that when they said her name and then they said her father's name, Dave, my jaw dropped. I immediately felt a hand on the back of my shoulder, which was my daughter, who, by the way, her name is Kaylee. Right. So it just was that coincidence there of that moment, I think, that just kind of hit like, holy smokes, you know, yeah. it just was it kind of a emotional and, and a little bit of a magic moment for us as well. But the upside is, despite her being named Kaylee because literally of the song, um, she had never eh, really gotten too much into dad's music a lot. So she right. really didn't dig into the Marillion catalog. But after that weekend, she is now an absolute fan of the band and, and wow. got home and she was immediately asking me for more. <laughs> oh, well, that's excellent. So, that's yeah, you guys. Uh, yeah, we can still reach new fans. Yes, you made a believer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, the critical and the public reception of the album has absolutely uh, been amazing. It, it's, you know, immediate reviews, calling it the best of your, among the best of your catalog, uh, people immediately naming it for a candidate for best album of the year charting at levels that typically uh you don't associate with a band that people will label as prog no uh, although you guys usually can do pretty well in the uk at the very least you got that solid fan base going there but um with all that going on you know and uh, one of them even called it a beacon of hope uh, right. that that was that strong a reaction to it wow that, no, that's a very positive yeah when you guys were wrapping up the recording of this and the final mixings, did you suspect you had something that special on your hands? Yes, is the honest <laughs> answer. You know, you know, you know. Once you get to that point, I mean, I remember listening. One of the first times I heard Care, um, once the choirs had been put on, um, and you know, I had a tear in my own eye for just the sheer power and the, and and the beauty and the sadness of it um just so poignant you know and that's what you, you you hope as a musician you hope and aspire to creating something that can do that but to actually hit the mark to such a degree it's it's, it's, it's a, a rare thing i think yeah yeah well it's not as rare for you guys as it might be for some i'd say but yeah, and certainly yeah. this one yeah. this one stands out for me no, I think so too. Um, I, and I think, you know, when eventually we stop doing this and all the dust settles, it will, it will be thought of as, as one of the high, high points of our careers. Yeah, I can imagine. There, other than care, is there another part of the album that, you know, typically really hits you with an emotional chord? Well, for me, Crown Nightingale, is, is, I think, is, is uh, as close to a perfect song as I think we've, we've done. I'm, I'm always very much focused on, on on giving my all. So you know, it's the guitar solos in in care and in that that you know I, I just focus every ounce of my being to try and make them as as emotional and uh, as expressive as possible. So that that's kind of so when that happens and, and it comes off, it's 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 a very satisfying feeling. I can imagine. Yeah, I, at times I wish I was a musician 
of that type uh, was only ever a drummer. And as you know, we're can't always get a lot of emotion out of a drum, but <laughs> no, no, it's very, it's a backbone of, of, of the sound really. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and speaking of special in that sense too, I mean, it, I don't know why it took me literally to, I think last week that for it to finally sink in that uh, this is your 20th studio album as the band. Uh, I, that was escaping me all year. I don't know why, but I mean, that's that's no small feat for anybody, really, especially a band, again, labeled as prog, because mm-hmm. we know they, they get all over the place and sometimes there's lags and there's a lot of change ups. But you guys have been pretty much 100 percent stable now for 33 years in terms of a lineup. Yeah. To, to what do you attribute that kind of longevity and, and this kind of level of creativity at this point in your career? Um, I think it's the. Um... It's all about personalities, really. It's a mix of personalities. Uh, basically, everyone, everyone in the band, on the whole, yeah, we're all we're all slightly eccentric, but we're all good people, so we can find a common ground quite often. Um, and you know, even if there's occasionally a flare-up, uh, we kind of cut each other some slack, really, about it. Uh, so yeah, we all drive each other crazy at one point or another. Uh, some people more than others, but we are—we're <laughs> very forgiving. And you know, in terms of a chemistry, it's just—it's just still there. It's—it's it's amazing. You put these five musicians together in a room, and just something magical happens. You know, light blue touch paper stand well back because something is going to happen. You know, not all the time. Sometimes. <sighs> You have to find yourself in in the zone to to be creative, and it's not something you can even force. Uh, that's why occasionally when you try and write, it, it can just be weeks and weeks of just five guys in a room trying to find a tune. Um, it's only when you really stop trying so hard that that things start to come through. Right. Yeah, I mean, for you guys, I'm sure at this point, it's essentially equal to family. And, and yeah. you know each other's moods, and you know each other's yeah, we do uh, quirks. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah, we do. Uh, it is it is like it's like five brothers, really. Uh, we don't always have the same opinion, but you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of affection and a lot of um, give and take there. Yeah, yeah, and it's it it, it I think it comes through, especially at least uh, for the Q and A portion. Yeah watching the five of you interact and uh you know the jokes yeah. back and forth you know you can tell that there's a lot of a lot of love and a lot of uh connectivity i guess i'll say yeah as far as the five of you go yeah we all have very different personalities but um you know when it comes to music we yeah. just it's communication you know i think we communicate really well and we spark off each other which is what it's all about in that in that situation yeah i i, I imagine that probably leads to no small amount of, of stories of life on the road and traveling together. Um, is there one in particular all these years that, that really kind of comes to mind either as, as being humorous or, or perhaps a moment of uh, embarrassment that uh, you experienced on stage? I asked that because I, I recently interviewed Ian Crichton of Saga and he was talking about uh, an episode where his uh, chord or his guitar got caught on the amp and having to restart the song all over. Um, yeah, I mean, quite often it's not really usually me that, that has the technical problems. It's it's throughout the last 33 years, it's usually uh, poor Mark Kelly who's <laughs> wrestling with the intricacies of 
uh, either MIDI or, or uh, you know, computer-based um, production. Uh, for me, I mean, there was a time at the end of the Clutchless Frost tour where uh, I fell off the stage wearing a, a, a double-neck guitar. We, we did this one particular show in Germany, uh, and at the time, Fish had his own security guy. Um, and it, it was a very unusual um, shaped stage with two cutouts in front in front. And uh, the concert finished, the lights went down, Fish, Fisher's security guy came over with his torch to lead him off the stage. I'm, I'm there wearing my double neck guitar, uh, completely blind, go to walk walk around and, and, and find myself down in the, in the pit looking up. Yeah, you know, I, I could have broken the neck of the guitar, or I could have broken my neck, but as yes. it was, both were fine. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's one of those experiences you don't want to repeat. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, at least I guess it wasn't during the show. <laughs> no, it was it was right at the very end of the show, so they could have yeah. said it's off the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> wow, amazing. Um, so I guess the question in my mind is at this point, uh, how challenging do you guys find it to continue to come up with uh, new musical ideas after all this time? Uh, you know, do you ever get to the point where you feel like, God, I feel like I've written everything I can possibly write? Not at all. And I think that's what's so remarkable after all these years is still this great creativity. I, you know, if I'm in the zone, I can get, have like one idea after another pretty much all day long. Um, and it's the same for all of us, really. Um, and you know, Mike Hunt has got the job of of, of sifting through of thousands of ideas to find the nuggets of gold. But uh, but there are they are there, and and mm -hmm. the way that hate works, sometimes starting with just a few few lines, but then as the music evolves, um, so do, do the lyrics and the vocal melodies, and it all kind of just grows together in a in a, in a quite a peculiar way, I suppose. But um, yeah. It works for us. Yeah, I've heard you talk about, uh, I guess, the, primarily the, the composition, the writing method or, or procedure, not procedure, process is the word I'm looking for, that you guys go through. It starts with jamming and, and Hogarth brings, you know, some lyrical ideas that he then fleshes out as the music develops. Um, thinking of this album in a certain sense, uh, it, in the development of it, because the lyrics, a lot of the content can be very dark. Mm. And yet at the same time, it, it, it resolves into something very hopeful. Mm. And, and I kind of wonder, is that, you know, where is that you guys with the music influencing him towards hopeful lyrics or other way around? Uh, you'd have to ask him, I'd, but, yeah. but the two things do evolve in a way yeah. separately, you know, the, the musical arrangements reach a point. Uh, where they make sense, and, and maybe you know sometimes he might have a finished lyric, but sometimes he's just got a few few lines, and and yeah, it, yeah, it just grows and uh, and evolves and and wraps itself around the music. Really, that's any way to describe it. Yeah. Okay. And and in the end, I guess, uh, did you come away with a different mindset after all of this, after having put it all together with the lyrics and everything? Did that change your perspective at all? It just made me very proud, really, that we could still yeah. be doing this after so many years and, and during such a difficult time for, for, right. yeah, for us all personally and for the world in general to, to come through with something that's such a positive statement and, and that, uh, you know, you feel like you've still got something to say. Uh, uh, you know, it justifies all, all the other parts of, of being a musician, you know, when you can ultimately deliver 
you know, because yeah. it's it, it's it's a, it's a very demanding life. Not so much physically sometimes, but mentally, is that you never stop being a musician. You know, as, as you know, it's it's like it's it's who you are, which can maybe make you sometimes slightly dysfunctional as a human being. But uh, at the same time, that focus is is what makes it possible for you to do what you do. Yeah, yeah, I. I don't know if I call it dysfunctional in many ways. In many ways, I might suggest that it's healthy to continue to be able to fuel that creativity and express it. You're not the only musician I've heard say something like that, but it certainly stuck in my mind during that Q&A in Leicester when it was asked the question, if you suddenly had all the money in the world that you needed and didn't have to do anything else, what would you do? And my recollection was your response is, I continue to make music. It's all about yeah. the music. The world so, could be better, really, yeah. to bring something magical or beautiful into the world really there's yeah. enough ugliness and pain in the world to go around so um yeah try and be bring something positive yeah absolutely and and, and to, to do what you love is is an amazing yeah. thing yeah you know, and that's clear that the love is there for the work it's not that you're working to make money only you're you're lucky enough to do what you love to make money <laughs> exactly you know we're not rich but we have the artistic freedom to follow our own path and, you know, we're mm -hmm. kind of comfortable and in a way it's a sweet spot, but kind of more successful you, you are, the more pressures are on you, the more internal pressures there are on the band. So we kind of like, we're in the happy place when it comes yeah. to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. seems like, and, and I thought that came across as well with all of you yeah. that, you know, you're where you exactly you want to be. Um, yeah. Now, uh, talking a little bit about influence as well, I know, and, and I'm not the first one to say it, but, you know, we, we talk about comparisons to an influence from Gilmore and, and Hackett and Latimer. Yeah. Um, is there anybody that you consider to be influential in, in your musical career that you think would surprise people to hear? Um, part of it uh, is probably the guitar playing of Joni Mitchell, actually, especially mm -hmm. in her early years, uh, yeah. the use of open tunings and, a, and the kind of the rich tonality of a lot of what she she did but you know i kind of i take things from loads of different players you know i mean those were my three main influences but growing up i loved santana so that the really long sustaining notes thing pretty much came from him um yeah i love the first uh few van halen albums so occasionally if i'm doing it something rocky it's something with a bit of a nod and a wink to, to eddie's kind of approach um, you know, I love people like Jeff Beck. I think a uh, great guitarist, unique voice. I love blues, you know, B.B. King. Um, there's something so honest and, and raw and emotional about a lot of that that genre. Um, and folk music. Hmm. So it's all, all kinds of things, really. I think in the in my later years, it's kind of more about songwriters. You know, I love like Neil Finn, Crowded House, um, modern writers like Bonnie Vare and Sufjan Stevens. Uh, there's a, a UK group called Old J who, who've done some really interesting stuff. Um, so it's not really about guitarists so much as, as songwriters. I think that's, that's no. kind of tends to be what inspired me the most. I think. Yeah. I, I can see, you know, the development of the band throughout the years. And while you've always, to me, sounded like and been Marillion, I can also, see a lot of different like, kind of periods that you have all gone through and how you've evolved over the years and things like that. And uh, yeah, uh, 
I'm always kind of curious what it's like for the members of the band to look back and, and see those various periods of their evolution. And, you know, are there moments that you're especially fond of moments you cringe at a little bit, anything like that? <clears throat> no, I don't think there's anything I'd really cringe at. Um, yeah. I think the, uh, when holidays needing came out, you know, we were a bit of under pressure from EMI. The only time really that we did have pressure from them to yeah. do something more commercial. So having a commercial producer come in, uh, but I think the remix, uh, Stephen Taylor's remix of Holidays Needham's kind of brought that album back to life for me because it's, it's kind of, maybe it's because there's more guitar in it, maybe it's slightly heavier, but it, it really yeah. brings the songs to life. Um, Radiation was a difficult album to make. I, I was feeling pressure from some quarters to try something different that, um, you know, there was an implication that I'd got a bit stuck in a rut, which <laughs> I didn't really accept. But um, yeah, but we we tried that. Um, but again, some of the album works really well. Some of it is quite harsh sounding. So I think yeah. Mike Hunter's remix has uh, helped. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, we were all very much conscious of trying not to repeat ourselves. Yeah. We've thrown out so many great ideas because they kind of like echoed something we've already done or something somebody else had already done. Yeah. So uh, what's amazing is that even after all this time, we can find something that we don't think we've already done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, again, it, it's, it's, it amazes me when I see and, and have now for decades followed bands and artists and be able to see them still continuing to be a create creative at a level like, like you guys have achieved, you know, it, that's a rare thing. And, you know, fortunately I'm thankful for it. I'm always looking for something new. And so yeah. bands I already love are doing things that really kind of strike me as, wow, that's different. Or that's, that's amazing. I, I didn't expect that from them. That to me is another part of the joy of discovery, rediscovery, I guess. Yeah. And I, I think everyone wants to find something new, something, and there's not much really, because the way the music, the mainstream of music's gone, you don't get much chance to hear something that's going to, maybe excite you in the way that music used to excite you. So, um, you know, social media is, is a blessing and a curse, really. I mean, it's been the great leveler in some respects. Um, you know, you're no longer subject to the gatekeepers of, of the media and whatever's trendy. Um, but then again, it's very hard to sell music these days. Um, and we're fortunate, I think, at the age of our audience, a lot of them still want to own physical products. That's how they, they see owning a record. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, we're, we're in a very fortunate position, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of, uh, you know, kind of pushing to try new things, was there something in particular that uh, was going on in the making of An Hour Before It's Dark where you were kind of consciously making the intent to to stretch yourself in a new direction? No, I mean, I, I, sometimes it's just a case of finding uh, new sounds. There's a sound that I use on a couple of places on the record, which is a, um, it's a, an electro-harmonics pitchfork pedal, which is like, an, like a really clean kind of octave box uh, mm -hmm. going through uh, uh, a vibrato pedal, uh, a mojo vibe. Um, and through my my groove tubes um, preamp, and that's got a very almost organ like sound. I, I use it on "Beholding Yourself" and and on a, a small section in "Crone Nightingale." So just finding things like that that you can just 
throw something a little bit different into the into the pot really is it's, it's always fun yeah I, I think the one thing that struck me more and i i had to think back may have forgotten but what struck me was i guess it's uh the band or, or not the band uh the group's called choir noir um yes, yes. the addition of the choir in this album in particular for me was really striking uh, absolutely no yeah. uh, outstanding contribution really yeah yeah that was that was a nice uh that was a nice shift <laughs> yeah um so i'm guessing then you know when you talk about 20 albums in 43 years, uh, as you mentioned, I guess one begins to think a little bit about things like legacy and, and what you've achieved over the years, what you eventually will leave behind. And I guess I wonder how much do you find yourself thinking future, thinking past and just kind of reviewing all that stuff? You don't, you, you very much, I think that the difference between us and a lot of bands is we are very much still about now, you know, the yeah. new record. Um, and I don't know, I can't think of many bands who are still in that mindset after so many years. So in a way, it it feels like we're not yet in the in the place where we're going to be looking back at the, our career. We're still very much in the moment. But having said that, you know, we're all kind of like in our 60s now, some people further on in their 60s. And, you know, there was, there was, there's a, a time limit to how, you know, can you still do what we do in 10 years' time, you know, yeah. the, the sleeping on a tour bus, the traveling. Um, so, you know, you, you have that sense that the, the road in front of you is, is a lot shorter than the road behind. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't really impact you other than that, you know, enjoy the moment because yeah. who knows how many more tours you will do. Yeah, I, I, depending on who you are, I imagine at times it can be difficult to remain mindful and in the moment. And, but at the same time, I think something like performing in front of people really pushes you to do that, at least at that particular yeah. uh, time. Now you, you, you've got to, because for anybody that's worked in the real world and you see, you know, you know how hard and grueling that can be to do what we do. Uh, it's just such a gift. It really is. You know, you just to do a job that you love to fly around the world and or drive around the world uh, and, and 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 bring joy to people and and something positive to the world. Uh, yeah, what could be better than that, really? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I again, I I have to imagine it, but uh, you know, uh, but I. I got a pretty good idea from talking to people that yeah, no, it's, you know, it's, it's not an easy thing to think about giving up either, no matter the age, no matter the circumstance. I've seen people who yeah. never made it big were friends of mine and, and he never gave up being creative and he never stopped making music. Really? I think the thing is in a way, the, the lockdown and the pandemic is almost kind of giving you like a, uh, I don't know how could you say it, like a glimpse of what retirement would be like, you know, <laughs> that forced to be at home and, and, yeah. and not traveling around the world. And, um, which has had both good sides and bad sides. I mean, it, I personally like being at home, you know, uh, but yeah, you, you have got to just, just enjoy each, each moment of it because, uh, it won't, won't be for forever. Yeah. And I always felt that there was that 
and I think it's been stated probably pretty clearly. So it's not like this is an original thought on my part, but the idea that that is one of the overarching themes of the album is, you know, a, a kind of awareness of uh, the band's mortality more even yeah. so than just your own is the fact that we know we can't do this forever and you, yeah. you don't know when it might wrap up. You know, I, yeah. I personally am still mourning the loss of Neil Peart and, and yeah. Rush with that, you know, that, that, yeah. um, you guys were a band I admired for many of the same reasons I admired Rush is, is your dedication to forging your own direction. Um, and not necessarily to the exclusion of the feelings of your fans, but so much so that you, you weren't interested in, in uh, outside forces from record companies and such pushing their own agendas onto the creativity that you were trying to put forth. And, 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 and also the fact that you guys seem to be, you know, good people <laughs> you know i like i admire that and, and that's the kind of thing i like to follow that so you know they're gone but i'm so happy that you guys are still around oh cheers well thank you yeah i, I suppose yeah we were a slightly younger generation than a lot of those those bands but yeah it's like I say we're still in our 60s some people in their late 60s and um yeah you just don't know really. yeah. yeah and and it's funny too because i bring up rush in that moment i had that hadn't Thought hadn't come to mind until it came, but then I think back to is am I the only one that the minute you said a double neck guitar, the first thing I thought about was Rush? Is, is that like <laughs> did they trademark and I don't I missed that? Is that automatic for everybody or just me? No, I mean I think for me, I would, like, I would have probably had the more of the Genesis uh, connection uh, or Jimmy Page for the whole yeah. um, you know Star Wars to Heaven type thing live. Uh, but yeah, no Rush definitely on, on that list. Yeah. Maybe they stick in my mind because they're the only ones that ever seem to get make fun of, made fun of because they did it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think what that was great. One of the great things about Rush is that they just did what they did. They, they were never concerned about being cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we've never been cool as a band. Uh, you know, we troubled the, the top of the singles and albums charts in the mid eighties, but even then we weren't accepted by, by the mainstream because we're not, trendy we're not fashionable which uh is probably the the, the thing that's kept us going because we've not fallen out of fashion because we've never been in it yeah <laughs> yeah that 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 works for me and in my circles you guys are among the coolest so i'll say oh, that much thank you frog world loves you guys and uh again it's you are honestly when i think about it as far as bands in that label have been around you guys are I kind of hold the key, uh, the, the crown of longevity at this point in time, because the others are pretty much done. I mean, yes, is still touring. Just saw them last week, as a matter of fact. But at this point, that yes is Steve Howe and people that yeah. you know, weren't necessarily classic. Yes. I mean, Jeff Downs has been with them for a while and he was yeah. in that back in the day. But the other guys are, you know, they're, they're probably younger than I am, which I don't appreciate. But <laughs> <laughs> but it's the fact that, you know, that's really not. Yes, and and certainly their lineup has never been stable, and certainly not stable over a period of thirty years. No, no, I know exactly what you mean. It's funny actually. I saw the uh, the new King Crimson documentary the other night in in, in London, uh, and you know, hats off to Robert Fripp for for keeping that. You know, first album was fifty odd years ago. Um, in, incredible. Um, not sure about how he comes across in that documentary personally, oh. but. Uh, but it's interesting, and he's definitely yeah. a very much uh, an interesting character. But I think he's not someone I don't ever want to be in a band. 
have if I don't know if you've seen the videos he posts with his wife. I, I imagine there's something reflected there that comes across in the documentary then as well. No, not really. I mean, I have no. to think they're they're in a way they're even more of a big surprise because the mm. way he is in the documentary, you know, he's very, very serious. Mm. Um, you know, surrounds himself with these amazing musicians, but like to seem to keep them on edge all the time. Mm. Um and it just seems very hard work to yeah. to be in a band with, and uh, so yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was fascinating. It's definitely worth worth watching. But it did give me nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> well, I must see this now. It's just yeah. in time for Halloween, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so at this point in time, after the tour wraps up, uh, what in November, early November, what what can we expect from you and from the band? What's everybody planning to do after that? Hmm. Well, we will probably won't start rehearsing for the Marine weekends until January of next year. Uh, I've got several projects on the go. I've got my Reventule space-themed instrumental album that I've been halfway through for the last four years. Uh, but, you know, the Marine takes so much of my time and energy that um, I can only hope to move it forward in, in increments. Um, I'm doing an album with, with Thorsten from Tangerine Dream. Uh, we've got a few sessions. I was over in Berlin in August working on that, which is very interesting. Uh, um, at some point, making an album with Steve Hackett, again, that we've been talking about for the last however many years, and we've done a few sessions together. And uh, I know he's very keen to do something at the beginning of next year. So I'll try and shoehorn uh, that in. Um, and I'll, I'll make another album with my my solo band, the Steve Rothery band. We're, we're touring next year quite a lot with that. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm never short of things to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, it seems like never sitting still for very long, but good for you. You know what? Yeah. Keep doing it while you can, as much as you can. Yeah. And I've got, I think, three, four different other artists wanting me to guest on their, on their albums, which I, I shouldn't really say yes to these people, but I, because the friends I, I tend to, and you know, that can be quite time consuming. It's like two or three days sometimes per track to do something I'm happy with. Yeah. Uh, so it's another reason that my own projects sometimes get put on the back burner because you, you have a finite amount of time to do everything. Um, yeah. But, you know, I have a studio at home and I can record at the Racket Club as well. So I'm hoping to move some of the projects forward by so many steps uh, during the end of the year. Oh, good. Very nice. Um, and then I understand after this round of uh, Marillion Weekends, it'll go back to a every other year, year schedule. And uh, yeah, yeah. And dialing them back in terms of length on the weekends a little bit, too, I understand. Yes, just because it's. It's been pretty tough this year uh, yeah. for various people in the band uh, who suffering from illness and like three nights in a row, I get at our advancing age. Can be just a, a lot of music and a lot of focus and uh, it takes it out of you. Um, yeah. You know, it's like, it's pretty in, intensive. So, so yeah, we'll be doing those. And then 2024, there's some other things in the pipeline possibly a return to North America for a few shows, but we're still mm. finding about the logistics of that really. It's, uh, it's kind of complicated with the whole withholding tax and visas and just general costs. But uh, I'd like to think that's a possibility. Okay. And then probably second half of 2024, we'll start writing or continue the writing of the next album. Yeah. Well, you, Interestingly, you absolutely seem to anticipate one of my upcoming questions or one of my next questions was 
And I thought to ask the question would be me kind of clutching at straws, if I can coin a phrase, but whether you'd get back to the U.S. So I'm thrilled to hear that. I, I know the really yeah. weekend next year will be in Montreal. And if I can make it there, I'm going to do that. Yeah, I, I've absolutely got to get my girlfriend to come along for one of the shows. She but she can't do May her her employer right. doesn't let her take vacations in may because that's their fiscal year end right so that's absolutely verboten um but we could do a trip a drive yeah. up to canada i could do that yeah um, Montreal's a great city anyway too so. yeah. but yeah north america tour absolutely i would love that that's that would be amazing i, I did not dare to hope because i know yeah it's well fingers crossed. It's, yeah it's not it's not definite it's just something yeah. where we're we're um, examining examining the possibilities. Yeah. Well, I know you guys have uh, are the pioneers in crowdfunding, so uh, I can say I probably am not the only one to say I'll, I'll buy my ticket now if that okay. helps. So, yeah. <laughs> and a little bit extra if that helps as well. So yeah. I'm all well, for that. What's your space? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, and I'm and I and I'm excited to hear about the idea of of, uh, of an album with Steve Hackett. Um, I, I think that sounds like that could be. Uh, a lot of fun yeah no i mean we're, we're, we're good friends we go out for dinner quite often him and his wife joe and me and my wife joe so uh and we you know we we talk all sorts of things over the last i don't know six or seven years and um i think this is it's we we he's so busy and i'm so busy so finding that time when we can both focus on on doing doing something um has been difficult but maybe yes maybe the beginning of next year yeah much like yourself he strikes me as someone who just never wants to sit still and stop working every time i turn around he's touring oh it's incredible i mean he's 10 years older than me and i just no idea how he does what he does <laughs> uh, i mean it, it's it's incredible but uh but yeah great he's had a great response in the whole genesis revisited um thing so uh yeah well excellent and one final question, I guess, and you kind of touched on it earlier a couple of times. When you think ahead, imagining you think ahead much at all or let yourself to the recording of that next album, how much at this point do you feel like, oh, God, pressure to follow up this one? Well, we've, we've probably got something like a third of an album on the shelf uh, from ideas that we maybe even more that we didn't use on the on the. On the next on the last record i mean in a way we, we're very lucky the problem we have is that we write more music than we can use <laughs> it's uh so i think that the real pressure is going to be on on on, on uh, seafogarth really because you know we can write music but for him to write lyrics it's very very demanding he has to have a yeah. a, a clear idea of what he wants to express and and uh you know that in a way it's, it's the one thing that can't be rushed we can go in there and jam and come up with lots of interesting uh riffs and chord movements but uh he has to put something together that makes it into a song as opposed to just a great instrumental section mm. yeah i right, well my heart goes out to him with that challenge before him i hope you guys don't make it too difficult for him and and no. creating music that he'll struggle i don't think so no, I <laughs> but, <laughs> I think in a way we we we're probably more attuned the five of us or the six of us with Mike than we've ever been in a lot of respects. Yeah. Even though we've got very different tastes, I think when we, when we do agree, you know, we we uh, we can create something uh, very special. Yeah, no doubt. 
Uh, you demonstrated it this year or mostly last year when you were doing the work having to, to what you released this year. Uh, again, An Hour Before It's Dark is uh, absolutely an amazing album. It is Thank you. probably my favorite since Marbles at this point, uh, which ranks high up there with me. Um, but I've, I've loved so much of the work you guys have done for 30 years. So I, I was glad to have somebody in college who was following closely and managed to get me turned on because I knew about Kaylee, but that was the right. small spike of a hit in the U.S. Yeah. But, you know, uh, back then it was a little back in the, you know, the dark ages. It was a little harder to get stuff yeah. in the U.K. that wasn't selling big in the U.S., but he kept up on it. And uh, there we go, you know, yeah. 33 years later. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, sir. Cheers, my pleasure too. Yeah, thank you very much for all the music. Thank you for the concerts. I look forward to seeing you again in the near future, and I hope this next leg of the tour is spectacular. Cheers, thank you. You're quite welcome. Take care. Have a good day. Cheers, you too. What a gentleman Steve is, and really, what a great conversation. Really enjoyed it. Uh, I honestly, I can't help but personally feel inspired uh, by his perspective of mindful gratitude about everything he's, he's been able to experience and accomplish and everything he's still able to enjoy. Uh, I really think this kind of attitude is so helpful and can be so helpful for so many people out there. And for me, honestly, it's the primary takeaway I, I get from an hour before it's dark. I wish all the best to Steve and the rest of Marillion uh, for the remainder of their tour and especially for the continued success of the new album. And I really personally look forward to the next time I get to see them live, hopefully right here in the States. Thank you for joining me once again for Bleeding Edge interviews. If you haven't already, please check out my other interviews. They are available wherever you find podcasts. Just search under Toxic Radio. They are also available through ToxicRadio.net as well as the free Toxic Radio app. And remember the new schedule for Bleeding Edge, Sundays, 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. Eastern. Shows will vary in length according to whether or not I've got an interview, but in the midst of all of that, you still have Brain Salad Sunday. So until next time, this is me encouraging all of you to take some time every day to deviate from the norm and discover something new. This is Super Dave, signing off. Angel here on earth.